Hi again, and welcome back to Trapped History. I'm Oswin Baker. And I'm Carla O'Shaughnessy. And we're here to share hidden stories of unsung heroes. In today's episode, we want to introduce you to the Newsies, the boys and girls who took on the richest men in America and won. Literally boys and girls? Yeah, literally. They were pretty much aged sort of 8 to 18. Wow. And really the richest men in America? Yeah, I mean, this is the first age of the super rich. Today, you've got people like Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos. Elon Musk. Elon Musk, Mm. that crew, the tech billionaires. Back then, so this is about 120 years ago, back then you had a guy called uh, John D. Rockefeller, which is oil. Mm -hmm. You've got Andrew Carnegie, steel. Henry Ford, which is the marriage of steel and oil, cars, and two rich men in particular who are part of our story today, William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer, oh, yeah, yeah. media magnates. Both of them are judged to be in the list of the top 100 richest Americans ever. Hearst inherited his fortune from his father, who was a prospector and a miner, so that's gold and silver. And Hearst is thought to be one of the biggest spenders in American history. He threw away $15 million a year. Wow. So what's that equivalent to now then? Well, today that's more like half a billion. So he spends half a billion on rubbish every year until he runs out of money. Wow. As for Pulitzer, like Hearst's dad, he comes from the gutter, literally again. He arrives in America from Hungary as a teenager. He can't speak the language. He's dirt broke. He sleeps on park benches in New York's Madison Square. Every pleasant night until I found employment, I slept upon the bench, and my summons to breakfast was frequently the rap of a policeman's club. But when he died in 1911, he left a fortune of $30 million. That's a billion in today's money. Okay, so I get the gist. Um, Really rich white men. But you said you wanted to tell the story of the newses. So first things first, let's go back a minute. Where and when are we? And why is this important? So this is New York. We're in the year 1899. And we're about to hear about the largest child-led strike in history. So for today's episode, which is the last in our first season, we thought we'd do something different. We record Trapped History in a studio where we are now, which is in the basement of the Rose Bowl, a youth centre in Canterbury in London. And it's an amazing place. It's always buzzing with young people. We are joined by some of them right now. Yay! Hi, hello. 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 Should we introduce ourselves? Oh, yes, yeah, please. go on, introduce yeah. yourself. My name is uh, Dylan. I've been coming to Rose Bowl for about three years now. My name's Shane. Um, I forgot how long I've been coming, but I've been coming for like a while. Hello, my name is um, Delani. Yeah. I've been coming to Rose Bowl for a very long time. It's very entertaining. I think you guys will like it. <laughs> uh, hi, my name's Elijah. I've been coming here since last year, but I used to come here before, but then I stopped. Hello, my name is Molly, and I have been coming to Rose Bowl just about over four years, I must say, and I've enjoyed every last like bit of it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Maya, and I've recently started working at Rose Bowl. Give yourself a round of applause. So here's the very simple question. What is a newsie? A newsie is quite simply someone who sells newspapers on the street. They line up before dawn to buy a big bundle of newspapers directly from the printers. 
They sell them to passers-by in the street and they pocket the profit. And that's how these kids make a living. The papers charge the newsies 50 cents for a bundle of 100 newspapers. If they sell each paper for one cent, they make 50 cents profit. But that's only if they sell every single one of the 100 papers in a bundle. If they don't manage to do that, then that's just tough. And in fact, on average, a newsie only earns around 40 cents a day, which means to be successful, and there are ones who earn $2 or $3 a day, they have to be mathematicians, psychologists and weather forecasters. Have you heard of this, the Newsies musical? No. No? There are posters about it all over town. It's a Disney musical. There was a film in, I don't know. 1992. 1992 with Christian Bale in it. And they then turned it into a musical and it's on the stage. It's up for awards and things like that. Round the table, favourite Disney film? Um, my favourite Disney film probably has to be The Jungle Book. The Jungle Book? Oh, yeah. The live action Jungle Book? Nah. Oh, the old Jungle Book? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, that's, oh, cool. that's the old Jungle cool. Book. Anyone else for The Jungle Book? I think I watched like Monster Inc. a lot when I was younger. Oh. Yeah, that's a good one. I like Monsters, Inc. You like Monsters, Inc.? <laughs> My daughter looks like the girl in Monsters, Inc. Does she? Yeah, really, like big brown eyes. Yeah. Um, also, Finding Nemo is a good film. Yeah, yeah, I like them. With the, white, with the white whale. I forgot it's called. The whale. Yeah, the blue whale. That's Finding Dory. Same thing. <laughs> Get stuck in a drain, you have to find it. So, is what it is. Probably my favourite would have to be Mulan. Oh, yeah. I would go for Mulan. Mulan's, go for Mulan. Mulan's top. <laughs> Man, probably have to be like the old Wizard of Oz. Wizard, Wizard of Oz? Is it a Disney movie? Stuck in it's not really a Disney movie, but it's like one film I like. It's, a, it's, it's yeah. I've watched it so many times. <laughs> That's so I think mine would have to be, I guess, yeah, The Jungle Book. Jungle Book still exists. The Jungle Book still exists. I had the disc of it. I think I saw Jungle Book in the cinema. Yeah. Oh, the, the little kid. The little kid in the jungle with the panther and the monkey. Yeah. And the panther gets in a fight with the tiger. Here's a quick. Oh yeah, that's good. That's good. Did you know that I can name the the release date of every single Disney movie ever? That's quite a skill there. Wow, I'm impressed. We're not going down that rabbit hole. We'll be here all night. We'll do that on another episode. Yes, you can as well. There's a really famous old photo of a kid standing on a street corner with a poster. I think we've got a copy of it here, actually. And the poster reads, Titanic disaster, great loss of life. Well, that's what these newsies did. They told people the news and they sold them the news. The thing about that photo is if you look at it, it isn't a man selling a newspaper. It's a boy Boy. selling Mm. the newspaper. And his name was Ned Parfit. He was 16 when that photo was taken. And it was taken in 1912, which is when the Titanic sank. A few years later, he signed up to fight during the First World War. He was decorated for his bravery. But tragically, he was killed just two weeks before the end of the war. Oh, it's so sad. And as you say, he was a boy. And the other thing about newsies is that they were pretty much all young. There were very few newsies our age. Were there, Osman? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could have stood the cold or the hunger, Mm. the (laughs) uncertainty of it. Um, All of you could have. Because that was what the life of a newsie was like. And it had been that way for some time. Here's a description from 30 or 40 years before. I remember one cold night seeing some dozen of the little homeless creatures piled together to keep each other warm beneath the stairway of the sun office. There used to be a mass of them also at the Atlas office sleeping in the lobbies until the printers drove them away by pouring water on them 
One winter, an old burnt-out safe lay all the season in Wall Street, which was used as a bedroom by two boys who managed to crawl into the hole that had been burned. So these are kids who are really living on the streets. And a few years later, someone else wrote, There are 10,000 children living on the streets of New York. The newsboys constitute an important division of this army of homeless children. You can see them everywhere. They rend the air and deafen you with their shrill cries. They surround you on the sidewalk and almost force you to buy their papers. They're ragged and dirty. Some have no coats, no shoes, and no hat. There were newsgirls too, let's not forget them. Uh, Mary Welter was 16 and she sold papers at the 23rd Street Ferry in New York. I went to school when I was 13 and I'm crazy to go now, but of course I can't. I don't like to be a newsgirl at all and if I could get some other work that would pay me $9 or $10 a week, I'd quit tonight. Take yourself back 120 years. These are people just like you who are living on the streets. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I think, like, they could get, like, sick really easily. Mm. Um, be cold. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, get infections. I'd feel, like, like really sad. And I'd just, I'd just, like, I'd just, like, hope one day that I could get off the streets and do what I really want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sad to yeah. think of. Yeah. Going around on the streets late at night, throwing newspapers around. I'd kind of hope for someone at least to pick it up and I can explain to them what it basically is about. So I'd feel really upset that like I can't stay with my family and all stuff like that. But like, yeah, I feel upset for like me and all the other kids that are doing it as well. No one really cares about what you're doing. Like, they only care about what's really going on. They don't have any time to take care of a kid. Probably people did not treat them really nicely at all. Because, you know, they're little kids trying to make a living, and that's all they have to do. As a girl, I think that also adds another, like, level of unsafety. Just thinking of walking around the streets at nighttime is, whatever age, it'll still be scary. I think it's also worthwhile taking us back to the world we confronted in our very first Trapped History episode, the world of Nellie Bly, and of course of one Joseph Pulitzer. If you've not yet had the chance to hear it, do please check it out. Nellie was a force of nature who overturned so many preconceptions. It's really well worth a listen. Anyway, my point is that this period, say 1880 to 1910, was an age very like our own. The way people saw things was transformed both literally with colour photography, film, television, radio, all being developed in this time, but also metaphorically with psychoanalysis and the theories of relativity and quantum mechanics helping to overturn everything we thought we knew about our place in the world. And when you throw in the bicycle, the car and the aeroplane, you have a time in which people, things, information and ideas move like they never have done before. And we tend to think of globalisation and mass migration as contemporary issues. But, well, most of these news is, some of them might have been born in America, but their parents certainly weren't. And by the end of the 1890s, 
Immigration raises the population of the USA by 9% on its size at the beginning of the decade. That's over 5.5 million new people. Wow. I mean, uh, globalisation, of course, Carla, isn't just about the movement of people and goods. It, it, it's also about the movement of information mm. and of ideas. And this is where we're getting to the newsies again. Yeah, I mean, film and radio, yes, they are developed in this time. But the really big leap forward was in a pre-existing format which came into its own, the newspaper. Just a few numbers here. In, in 1880, there were about 140 daily newspapers in Britain. 20 years later, there were over 210 so that had gone up by 50%. In London alone, there are 20 or 30 newspapers, different newspapers, which are printed every day with at least 12 morning papers, nine evening papers. And there are many which churn out multiple editions every day. As for New York, there were 17 daily papers at the time of the Newsy strike. Mm. And the number of people buying newspapers quadruples between 1880 and the outbreak of the First World War. Yeah, but you didn't even need to buy the papers to know what's going on, did you, Oswin? Who's going to tell you what's happening in the world? It's the newses, and that's exactly what they do. They shout out the headlines for you. And just like Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, if the headline isn't landing and people just aren't interested in the story, the newses will find other stories to get you hooked. You're not newsies on the street selling newspapers. But at the time, that was the only way people could find things out. There wasn't radio, there wasn't mobile phones, there wasn't the internet, nothing like that. So where do you now, 120 years later, where do you find things out? Like, normally, like, my, like sometimes my parents tell me about like, what's going on. But you could just check the news because I, I like sport, I like football. So I check the news about like what's been happening like with Arsenal because like, they're, be they're the best team. <laughs> and, um, I just want to be clear that we, we don't want to lose uh, any listeners who fancy <laughs> Liverpool or, or Manchester City. So, you know, we'll take, it, we'll take any, any team. team. <laughs> How I know the news is that normally I'm on my phone and I'll get a notification because I have it downloaded and... Yeah, I'll get a notification if anything happens. And yeah. is there a particular news site that you get notifications from, like the BBC or like who, who do you yeah, trust? BBC. Okay. I have it downloaded. It texts me. I just have it. And so how many texts do you get a day normally? About five. Okay. And it doesn't have to be like big national news. This could be like what's happening down the road. Yeah, just... um, this could be just like sort of gossip. This could be fun stuff. Where do you find things out from? I pretty much find news everywhere. Like it could be on TV just about... A show, a new show that's coming out. It could be about a new toy, even. It could be about football. Just all out new things. Uh, yeah, like Dylan said, I have an app on my phone, but mine tells me what's like going like on around the world. The cra the craziest thing that has popped up, which is a couple of days ago, is that apparently there is dinosaurs in. I think it's China, which I don't believe, <laughs> but other people believe it. Like my sister, so. Yeah. <laughs> and is it real? Is it? You, know, you talked about the BBC, or will it be someone on Instagram or someone in Tok Tok or Tok 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 Tok? There's Grandpa. In fact, <laughs> the craziest I think I've got is a week ago I got a a text saying scientists are trying to bring back uh, woolly mammoths. Yeah, 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 yeah I saw that one on um, <laughs> so, woolly mammoths Google. and dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, what, wait, and uh, 
What are the tigers that have the saber-tooth? Oh, a saber-tooth tiger. I don't ever see that on my news that I get, <laughs> so I'm kind of jealous of your news sites. Oh. Um, I mainly get it from listening to other people, or it will pop up on my Instagram. I mainly know it from talking to like parents or grandparents, or you hear it at work. Or even on like when you're advertising, when you're down the street, there'll be something about what's happening in Ukraine and all of that. So mainly like that. I feel like that's kind of old school though now. I think a couple of days ago when I was um, scrolling for TikTok, um, I think this thing came up. Not like news news, but like people are saying like there's zombies in China and stuff like that. <laughs> and I was like, cool and, they, and they had like all videos and stuff like that and people were believing it. Stuff like that. And also like TikTok, <laughs> they have like their own like BBC news channels, same with like YouTube shorts and all stuff like that. So this is really interesting because the sort of things you're talking about. Dinosaurs, woolly mammoths, saber-toothed tigers, zombies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was exactly the sort of news that people would be getting 120 years ago. What actually happened in that summer of 1899 on the streets of New York? Well, it won't surprise you to hear, Carla, that we've got to go a little bit further back than that. Uh, we've got to go back to where it began with William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer. They are battling for control of the American newspaper market. And remember, that is the only place where you can get news. There's mm. no radio. There's nowhere else. That's the only game in town. Okay. Pulitzer owns the New York World, which sells around 185,000 copies a day in the mid-1890s. Hearst comes along and buys the New York Journal, which has around 120,000 sales a day. He also, by the way, buys the entire staff of Pulitzer's world. He literally buys the journalist. At one point, what? there's only a solitary secretary left in the offices of the New York world. Wow. You know, these are the people who are in control, really, of the entire news agenda. As I said, there's no other game in town. They have a huge degree of confidence in their ability to manipulate and control the news agenda to even potentially start wars. I mean, Hearst's dad, the, the man with the gold mine, he actually says of his son, I've been watching him and I noticed that when he wants cake, he wants cake and he wants it now. And I noticed that after a while, he gets his cake. And in 1898, he does get his war, the Spanish-American War. Okay. Which also starts a circulation war with Pulitzer's New York World, which with, you know, sort of lurid, sensational headlines, Hearst's New York Journal is winning. His circulation is now hitting 750,000 a day and is edging ahead of the world. So that's all very interesting, but where are the news is? Well, it's really nice to be selling more papers, but all of this costs an absolute fortune. Mm, and when a media magnate needs to save money, they look to the easiest target, and that target is the newsies. I mean, earlier, Carla, you said that the newsies pay 50 cents for a bundle of 100 papers. Mm -hmm. But during the Spanish-American War, that went up to 60 cents a bundle which obviously cut the newsies' income, but now they can only make 40 cents on every 100 papers rather than 50 cents. But they were quite happy with that because war generates headlines and headlines generate sales. Mm. And so in actual fact, even though they went down a dime a bundle, the newsies were selling 
so many more papers. Everything seemed good. But then the war ends and presumably the news becomes more boring and people stop buying as many papers as they did before. Got it in one. I mean, sales of the world and sales of the journals start sinking back to their pre-war levels of around 350,000 copies a day. And while the other newspapers reinstate the 50 cents a bundle rate, Pulitzer and Hearst don't. Well, I think they're probably going to take advantage of them because they're like kids. They'll just start protesting. And if they do that, then they won't get away with it. They probably will get away with it, judging by the fact that throughout all history, like people have gone away with lots of like lots of schemes. So, Dylan, you you said that you think that the young people are going to do something, and that is exactly what happens. The newsies go on strike. It's mid July, eighteen ninety nine, and they've had enough. It's a bit difficult to know what exactly sparked it off. Some say that a journal wholesaler tried to dupe newsies by stuffing their bundles of papers with yesterday's newspapers, and they overturned his wagon, ripped up the papers. Others point to there was a streetcar strike at the same time, which was weeks into a citywide disruption and was tying up the police. And that meant that the newsies had a free reign when plundering newsstands to destroy copies of the world and the journal. But whatever the case, on the morning of the 20th of July, over 300 newsies are surrounding the world and the journal's distribution centres. They attack delivery wagons, they rip up copies of the papers, they chase down any newsie caught selling either paper. One of their leaders, a kid called Moses Burris, he was 11 years old. This is a kid, 11 years old, running a strike. He cautions his fellow newsies, Don't touch the scab papers! They're trying to work us. They even march on Wall Street. You heard of Wall Street? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. It's where money is made in America. And astonishingly, the moneymen and the stockbrokers open their windows and shower the newsies with coins and with money. They have the public on their side. How, how, how much money did they actually throw at him? Like, how much money did they... I don't know, but the newsies just picked it all up. They threw, they threw dimes and cents and quarters and things. This is all American money. Did they? And they weren't throwing it to hurt the newsies. They were giving them the money. They were supporting so, them. Um, I would have been grateful that they tried to do that because I made money and I got my job back. Yeah. I made money when I wasn't working. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's what the newsies were hoping. That's what they were hoping for. Joseph Pulitzer is absolutely mad about this. Don't forget where he'd come from, uh, sleeping on park benches. He called himself the boy of the streets. But that was all behind him now. During a previous strike, he had said, It's hard to fight women, but still harder to argue with boys, especially newsboys. However kindly we are disposed toward the little brigades who sell our paper, it is an absurdity which we are fully determined and able to stop, no matter how long the strike may last. His managing editor, however, wasn't quite so sure. In a series of increasingly desperate and panicky memos, he writes to his boss, The newsboy's strike has grown into an extensive and menacing affair. It's proving a serious problem. The advertisers have abandoned the papers, and the sales have been down fully two-fifths. It's a really very extraordinary demonstration. The people seem to be against us. They are encouraging the boys and tipping them. 
They are refraining from buying the papers for fear of having them snatched from their hands. The Newsies, meanwhile, though, aren't panicking. They're organising instead. They appoint leaders, they form committees, they codify the punishments for strike breakers or scabs. They hold rallies, 500 Newsies on the 24th of July outside the New York Tribune. They plan a parade, they hire a band, they pay for 11,000 flyers to be printed. And although the parade never actually happens, the police chief refuses them a permit. That night, 5,000 Newsies descend on a hall in the city centre for a morale-boosting mass meeting. 5,000? 5,000? That's incredible. Can you imagine that? 2,000 of them got into the hall. The rest had to stay outside, but they could still hear the speeches. And there were young Newsies who would stand up on stage and make rousing speeches. But they were also, there were also adults there. There was a New York assemblyman, so an elected representative, and he told them, You are the rousing generation. And if the older ones can't support you, they can at least treat you fairly. Keep up the fight, stick together, and you will win. The Newsies had this astonishing leader, an 18-year-old, and he was called Kid Blink. He had an eye patch. Why was he called Kid Blink if he wore an eye patch? <laughs> well, because then he'd be, his other eye would be blinking. But that looks like a wink. <laughs> But, uh, I don't know why he was called Kid Blink, but he was called Kid Blink. He might have one blurry eye, so he might be blinking to try and clear it. So they might have called him Blinky because of that. But this is what he said at the meeting. Ain't that 10 cents worth as much to us as it is to Hearst and Pulitzer, who are millionaires? Well, I guess it is. If they can't spare it, how can we? I'm trying to figure out how 10 cents on 100 papers can mean more to a billionaire than it does to a newsboy. And I can't see it. And that's the whole point. These millionaires are wanting that money, but the newsboys need it. And there's another strike leader called Racetrack Higgins. Oh. I think they're like some really weird nicknames and some funny <laughs> nicknames. Racetrack Higgins inspires the crowd when he says, Oh, we'll win this fight, all right. Don't you touch worlds or journals until they give us a decent deal. We're putting them out of business fast and they know it. I think one of the things we want to know about you is what makes you mad, what makes you angry. Like these, like these kids, like Racetrack Higgins and Kid Blink and these newsboys and these new girls, they're angry because they're not being treated right by these rich men. What makes you angry? Uh, say if I was in their shoes, I'd be mad as well because um, I know life isn't supposed to be fair, but uh, it shouldn't be. Life shouldn't all be like that difficult. Yeah, that difficult for people. And there should be a bit of fairness like in the world. And then people should care for other people because we're all human beings and that. What makes you angry, Larger? It doesn't make me feel like angry, but it makes me feel like kind of upset because like seeing people like struggle with like, like, certain things and you don't know what's like going on, like losing a family member or something like that. Yeah, because I... Sleeping yeah. in the street must be really hard you know, when it's raining, cold, you've got nothing. Yeah, um, one thing I like don't like is, like, let's say, like, if you're just walking on the street with your friends and, like, like they'll say something just to take out, take the mick out of someone that, um, that walked past, something on someone that walked past. Yeah. I hate it when parents going down the street with their kids in a buggy, the kids are crying, they'll tell the kids to shut up. I don't think that's right, like. 
Oh, I was just going to say, I found it interesting that you said that they were talking about how the Newsies are the next generation and what they do. It's very prevalent to how people think of this generation now and how they're supposed to fix all the problems from the previous generations. And, and unfortunately, the Newsies don't get to fix the problems of the uh, existing generation. Hurst and Pulitzer have deep pockets and mm. uh, they're dealing with kids. First of all, they make an offer. They offer 55 cents a bundle instead of 60. Uh, just hold that thought, though. They're making an offer. The Newsies have frightened them. We don't know about the journal's numbers, but Pulitzer's New York World sees sales slump from 360,000 to 125,000 over the two weeks of the strike. It's just a two-week period wow. and their sales plummet through the floor. That is huge. That is massive, isn't it? Huge drop. And so this offer of 55 cents, it does seem genuine, mm. but it also sows the seeds of destruction because there isn't a united front from the newsies. Some of them think they've won and that the strike is over. Some don't. And to top it all, Hertz and Pulitzer know how to spin a story. So the following day, this is the day after that huge rally with 5,000 newsies, reports start emerging that Kid Blink fitted out head-to-toe in a brand-spanking new suit, has been seen selling copies of The World and The Journal. He has become a scab, and so have other strike leaders. What? Why would they so they betrayed they each other? That? Well, yeah. yeah, it sounds like they the, the leaders have betrayed them. Well, that's the story. And there's always a question about, do you believe the story? This story is put about by Hertz and Pulitzer, they are the men who know how to spin a story. And, you know, I, I don't quite believe that, the, you know, the day before they'd had this huge success, 5,000 Newsies, huge rally. I don't believe that the day after that you go scabbing. Yeah. I don't believe they did that. I think that the day after that, if you're Pulitzer or if you're William Randolph Hearst, that's when you start spreading nasty stories about mm. kids like, yeah. like yeah. in like spread around rumors and stuff about and as soon as they people. as soon as they start spreading these new these stories we'd like i think they're trying to give him like a bad reputation yeah or like mm. trying to set him like yeah yeah and, and the icing on pulitzer's cake is that he invites a delegation of newsies to his office has them arrested for attempted extortion this is after one of Hearst's employees who's in that office. He literally forces $10 bills into the boy's hands so they could be caught red-handed. And so wow. the strike begins to fall apart because they don't trust each other anymore. And, you know, you've got to remember that these are boys and girls. Um, whether it's a, a, a nice new suit, whether it's a $10 bill, it was never going to be that difficult for these hardened, seasoned operators like Pulitzer and Hearst to drive a wedge between the newsies, especially when the whole reason the newsies are doing this isn't because, you know, they like selling newspapers. That is the only way they're going to feed themselves and their families. Mm. But right at the beginning of this episode, you said that the newsies ended up winning. Well, in a way they did. I mean, the, the strike fizzles out. It's leaders seem to be discredited. The newsies, you know, they, they still need to earn a living. But even though they didn't get a reduction from 60 cents to 50 cents yes. or even to 55 cents, they did get an agreement from the world and the journal to buy back any unsold 
papers, something which they'd never done before. So if you only sell 80 of your 100 papers... They'll give you how much, like, 20p back from the papers that you haven't sold. 20 cents. Well, Hearst and Pulitzer will buy back the surplus. So you're not out of pocket if it was a bad news day. So they do get something out of it. But really, the thing, the thing for me is to just remember what these young boys and girls had done. You know, in two weeks, these children, and they are children, 8 to 18-year-olds, to they had organized successfully and effectively to lead thousands of newsboys and newsgirls out onto the streets to boycott the biggest papers in the city. They organized rallies, parades, mass meetings, got the public on their side. They even had elected representatives advocate for them. They forced the media barons to the negotiating table. They're absolutely incredible. The fact that they managed to organise so much and organise those protests and print off those leaflets. And, you know, we have social media now to help us organise things, but they didn't have anything like that. So it was amazing. What a journey. Yeah, I mean, what a journey indeed. With all of our other guests, we ask them to nominate someone for the Trapped History Hall of Fame. Mm. And this is someone who we haven't heard of, but we really should know about. Now, obviously, with all of our other guests, we've only had one per- one guest on, and so it's been easy for that person to say, okay, this is the person who should yeah. be in the Hall of Fame. Do you think you lot, is there someone that you would be able to agree on in the next couple of minutes who you think should be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Well, it's not. It could be anyone. Anyone in the world. It could be anyone. Yeah. What do you mean? Who would be in your hall of fame? I feel like I agree with just one person. Yeah. Yeah. Rosa Parks. Yeah. 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 Uh, 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 Rosa Parks is a girl on the bus, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Rosa Rosa Parks. Parks. She sat. She sat down and she was told to get up and she didn't get up. That just that shows determination, like how she wouldn't be pushed around as easily as the other black people. And she stood up yeah. for them. Yeah. She's, she's so she stood up for her rights. Yeah. That's brilliant. I will take Rosa Parks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A worthy entrant. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank so, you. For, thank you very thank much, you guys. For allowing us to be here. <laughs> thank you for being here. Thank you for allowing thank us. You, thank you. Thank you. MK. Uh, Carla and I forgot your name. Oz. Thank you. You're welcome. MK. Oswin. Carla and Maya. Thank you, everyone. I had a great time. Yeah, thank everyone. Thank everyone. And the podcast for listening. You've been listening to Trapped History, written and presented by Oswin Baker and Carla O'Shaughnessy. Our engineer has been MK Lee. Our music is by Pavlo Buterin, and you've also heard the voices of James Scott, JP Wright, Mike Sokoli, Fia Kuntz, and Katie Myler. If you've enjoyed this episode of Trapped History, please give us a rating. It really helps. And visit trappedhistory.com where you can hear bonus episodes and send us your own Hall of Fame nominations. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Mm-hmm.